my mind, there is no doubt that riding horses, it's a good thing for people and horses. So. Howdy, and welcome to Horse People, a podcast diving into the stories behind some of the world's everyday questions. My goal is to weave a narrative about entrepreneurs, equine professionals, and horseback riders alike, and the stories about the lives they've built. I'm your host, Gideon Kutkowski. My name is Chris Navas. I'm, I'm an assistant professor at uh, Penn Bethany Walton Center, which is the large animal clinic of um, the University of Pennsylvania. And what I do here is I work, I work in the cardiology and ultrasound service, and I work mainly in the clinic. Most of the time I do clinics, meaning I um, treat or diagnose ill horses with um, cardiac disease or with other diseases that need an ultrasound. And the rest of the time I teach and I do research. And the, what I'm interested in, it's um, in the cardiac part or the cardiovascular parts of the exercising horse, the, the sports, the sport horse, the, the training and the, and the cardiac um, related problems. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for the, the overview there. I, I know a few of the words you mentioned. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. First of all, how did you get into this career? Like, how did you get into horses in particular? Yeah, so I grew up riding horses. Uh, so I rode general purpose horses and endurance horses and um, uh eventers or horses that they were actually mainly endurance horses but they would cross train and then once in a while we would do low level eventer or, or I rode for a long time with a with a with a person a trainer that would um, train young horses on the on the flat or will will work with young young riders but mainly uh, train horses on the flat that then they were going to be show jumpers so so from from that just became the interest in in the horse and then the training of the horse and in the exercise physiology and then um, going to to vet school to learn about horses became what I wanted to do for for living and then from from there just one thing took to uh to another. When I finished school, I started working in Spain. I'm originally from Spain and I worked in Spain in private practice, ambulatory practice for some time. And then I came to the to the US to do advanced training and then, yeah, an internship uh, then became a internal medicine residency and then a cardiology fellowship. And, and that's, that's a little bit the short version. I know a lot of us, I know I did grew up wanting to be an equine veterinarian, right? Like I think a lot of horse folks out there grow up wanting to be an equine vet. What ended up being for you, like the, the moment you realized, like you don't want to do something like outside of veterinary, you want to be in the veterinary sector. Right. Cause I think there's a lot of ways to stay involved. So I'm, I'm just like, curious about that, that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know more than a moment. I think it was a process, right? Like I, I knew that I that I liked um, being with animals and I and I liked science. So at, uh, when I was a, a teenager and thought about a career, those were the two factors that uh, that always crossed my mind, right? And then 
and I, I think once it, it it came to the time to decide what what um, what to study, then, then that was the thing that interested me the most. But I, I think that when it was that time, the science part and the animal industry in general. So I think I could have been a veterinarian or something like that agricultural engineer or, or something yeah. along those lines with where the careers that uh, that uh, crossed my mind but I, I mean I was much more passionate about the horses but the problem with being a veterinarian is that in the end of being that instead of uh, your hobby being the spending time with the horses that you ride your horses your hobby stands being sick horses so 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 that uh but yeah, it's 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 um, yeah, it's it's a little bit more of uh, well, or both as as much a as a career as it is a lifestyle, I guess. Well, I, I can imagine. I know. Of, I spend a lot of time with sick horses and less time with healthy horses. One of the things that you specialize in are interested in exercise-associated deaths and exercise-associated like illness. When it comes to like, can you? Tell me a little bit more about like how you got into that specific yeah. interest. Yeah, it, it, it's probably for several reasons. One, I, I like sports personally. Like I've always liked sports as a hobby. Um, not that I've ever practiced like a, a sports at a at a high level, but I like endurance sports. I rode endurance horses. I like a, a endurance sports for people. Like I like those, I like to do long distance. Um, long distance running and I'm interested in the in the physiology of of sports and to add to add to that I think for the riding community and the equine industry the the deaths associated to exercise are a very large problem one of the largest problems that that we have to the point that some people would argue that may threaten the equine industry, right? Like uh, some people may argue, well, if you don't don't treat horses the way they should be treated at, at some point, you may lose what the, what some people call the social license, right? The, the, the acceptance of society that, that using horses for riding, it's a good thing. And I, just in case I say something that, that sounds controversial, like in my mind, there is no doubt that riding horses, it's a good thing for people and horses. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, in any shape or form in the, on the camp that, that will argue that, that that should not be done. But I can see that someone could, could easily say, um, and I wouldn't even agree with the concept that horses get injured and have accidents more than they should and as horse people we should put uh, or we should do as much as we can um, to stop that from happening the number of injuries and deaths that happen while horses exercises i have to agree that it's an unacceptable number how do you know the number off the top of your head like yeah it, de- it depends on the type of um of uh, activity that that um you are talking about and and the country but mm. if you uh get rough numbers for example race horses in the united states the the death the deaths of all of all causes it's approximately one in a thousand oh, wow. starts one in a thousand races and that translates in all cause mortality meaning of all horses that are trained in the united states 
uh, and, 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 in, and Canada per year, approximately one in a hundred horses uh, per year, per year dies. The thoroughbred racehorse, it's probably the animal in the, in the industry that it's at higher risk, probably followed by the quarter horse racehorse and the, and the standard bred racehorse. And after that, the three day eventer, it seems like the higher the intensity, the higher the risk. And other, other equestrian disciplines also probably have a little bit less um, formal um, um, ways of, of counting the, the deaths that, 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 happen, uh, um, that happen during exercise. So yeah, if you compare that to a human, the risk of a human athlete to, to die per year, it's also depending on, on the profile of the person, the age, the race, the type of sports that they that they um, that they perform approximately 0.5 to 100,000 athletes per year. So in rough numbers, uh, uh, of course, depending on the discipline, maybe at about um, somewhere between 100 and 500 higher fold of uh, dying per year than, um, than a human that practices sports. Wow, that's those numbers are a lot higher than I expected. Yeah, and those deaths, that by far the most common cause of all of all of those, it's um, musculoskeletal injury, breakdown injury. So let's say break breaking a leg or or a tendon or something to the, to the point that is beyond repair. So that's by far the 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 most common cause. Probably in rough numbers, about three quarters of of the deaths are are due to that. But then, then after that, probably the second most common cause, it's um. It's cardiac problems, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although the cardiac problems are hard to count because many times, as, as you said, what you know is the horse drops dead, and then it's it's even doing an autopsy, a necropsy, a post post mortem examination. It's hard to to figure out what the problem was. I'm curious, like, how do you prevent something like that? That to, to me, from from the outside, seems sudden, right? It seems like, oh, this this wasn't the writer's this wasn't the rider's fault. It was some, like it, it just, it happens, right? That's the, I think that's the mentality that some horse people have is like, it's just part of the. Yeah. So depending, you, you try to, to break it into different buckets, if you will. So depending on, um, on which cause you are talking about. So for example, people that, that are interested in musculoskeletal deaths or lameness type problems. So, they tackle it in a, in a different way, meaning trying to study how bone remodels or what are the different loads that are put on the, on the legs or doing the postmortem examinations of the legs and then, and then uh, try to, to, to figure out methods to count those things in animals that end up having a problem versus animals that don't have a problem. And similarly, from the heart standpoint, you do the same thing. You kind of know the options, right? Why a horse can die from the heart standpoint. It tends to be either an arrhythmia, meaning the, the heart's rhythm uh, gets out of, uh, or the heart gets out of, of rhythm versus the large vessels that go out of the heart try to, or, or can rupture and then the, the animal dies. So, so depending on which problem you are, you are talking about, uh, you use different methods, but as you said, it's kind of tricky because 
almost to to end up figuring out which animal is going to have a problem you have to see that problem and then and, and then you try to you try to what you are trying to do is prevent that problem so it, it ends up it ends up being a little bit hard to design the 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 best methods yeah but the, the, the type of the type of um, research that we are doing right now it's along the lines of collecting large amounts of data from large population of horses and um, uh, using technology like um, like um, fitness trackers or motion sensors or things that would be along the line for a for a person the the type of, of sensor that your your iPhone or your iWatch or your smartwatch mm -hmm. uh, will have and then it, it counts um, uh, strides or it counts heart rate or it counts motion and then non-invasively you can gather uh, data from from large populations to try to find the risk factors. Yeah. What's the, the in your opinion, the, the single most important thing as a horse owner that you, you would have to do in order to prevent something happening to your horse on the field or on the racetrack? Or... Well, I think they, they have a relationship with your veterinarian. And if you have a high level athlete, put that in your yearly plan uh, to have a health check and to check the parts of the horse that are the common causes of problems during exercise and and we know that that's the most common one the the legs lamenesses the the and then after that depending on the population that you are talking about there are the upper way their throat their lungs or their heart so at least yearly uh and depending on the type of course even more than once a year just have your vet your veterinarian check those things it would be a little bit like um any athlete that you can think of right like a track and field athlete or a basketball player or a football player or a soccer player or a hockey player or a baseball player which which professional athlete starts their their season without having a, a medical consult and having uh tests so run on a treadmill to see how your heart is it's uh it's going or go to the lab to to get different different tests etc right like the, the 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 doctor from each team has a doctor that that closely uh checks the health of their of their players right because we want it or not like playing playing sports at higher level it's putting a lot of strain in in the bodies of I mean, the physiology of the athlete right so you have to to watch it closely feels at least at the level that I'm at now, right? I'm like an, maybe an amateur, maybe lower than that. <laughs> it, it can feel like you don't need to do that because your horses aren't professional or whatever. But see, yeah, it seems, it seems like that, that might be really important to, to, to standardize, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, you are right. The higher the level, the higher the, the strain. You, you are very young and healthy but but still like probably it's recommended that once a year you just go to have a health check no yeah <laughs> you're even if it's only because then your insurance your medical insurance will lower your premium <laughs> <laughs> so once a year you go to the doctor regardless right and they check you up so yeah. at least that's at least something like that so um that's really interesting and and something that i think uh 
all horse people can relate to, right? I think because we've all been around it some way or another. I'm curious, like what your what your research is is pointing towards. Is that the right way to ask it? Like what what are what are your what are you finding? What is the the trend that you're seeing? Yeah, so it it's a little bit uh, um, um, multifactorial, or they are they are different things that that we look into. And my research, my main research, it's more specific about um, exercising arrhythmias and mm -hmm. heart rate variability, meaning how how does the heart rate change on a bit to bit. Um, basis and the, the, the short version is that these arrhythmias or the changes that happen during exercise are highly individual dependent and there there is a white zone meaning we know this is completely normal there is black zone meaning we know that this is very abnormal and this animal shouldn't exercise. But then there is a large gray zone mm -hmm. of things that, okay, they are not technically normal, but odds are the, the, the horses will be all right exercising. Uh, but the, the, what we try to focus on is to make that gray zone um, smaller and smaller and smaller. And is there a way for like a regular person to know like if you're in the black zone or the gray zone um, yes the if you ask ask me i think high level athletes should have an an exercise test so <laughs> exercise the horse with with some with some um monitors on and some of them are pretty simple like like they, they can do in the in the farm and some of them you need your veterinarian to 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 help and based and based on that uh, assess the general health during exercise and in some horses a uh, small percentage right like like we still we are saying that these problems are much more common than in a than in a person but still in absolute terms they are rare mm -hmm. um, will be a small percentage of, of animals that will be abnormal in those tests and then this they are these first tier tests and then from a first tier test, meaning a test that it's inexpensive and easy to do, and then you move on to do second tier tests, which are uh, more, more complex. And then you try to kind of define farther is, is, uh, is what you are finding not only abnormal, but clinically relevant, or is it abnormal, but really the, the relevance, it's, it's not all, it's, it, or it's not clinically relevant. Let's remember. Yep. Wow, that's that's so interesting. There's so much about this that I, I didn't know. I've never I owned a horse in high school for like a couple of years, um, but I was never like responsible, so to speak, for all of the veterinarian stuff. Right. You just kind of like board the horse and. Eventually people come in and they check it and you do all the things that I, I wish I would have known more back then. <laughs> I mean, to a certain degree, your veterinarian is doing it without you knowing, right? Because, like, if, even even if um, the horses that don't get checked from the sports medicine standpoint, they, they still get vaccinated and they get their teeth floated and etc. So it it's not really it 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 wouldn't be all that logistically difficult to include in your yearly checkup to check the teeth, check the 
the vaccination status, the warming status, and all that, a little bit of uh, checking oh. during exercise. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and, and thank you for that. I appreciate it. Curious. So you do a lot at, at UPenn now. You're a system professor, you're a researcher, doing clinical studies. Like wh which one of those is your favorite to do? Do you think? Yeah, I like the three of them because oh, okay. it's a little bit, it's a little bit like having three jobs, right? And yeah. once you get a little bit tired of the one, then you move on to the next one. So like, nice. so like it, um, for me, working in academia, it's one of the big classes mm -hmm. uh, that I get to to teach do 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 research and uh, and do and do clinics so yeah i get i get as excited about a clinical case on or a research project or 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 uh, preparing a lecture yeah <laughs> you know because you learn so much more from they say you learn so much more from your failures than you do your successes um i'm curious from your perspective i know a lot of my friends right now a few of my friends are going through equines vet school or just vet school in general at AM. Um, I'm sure some years, some nights are tougher than others and some years are harder than others. I'm curious from your perspective, what's been uh, your biggest, we'll call it low light um, in, in your career so far. And like, how did you end up overcoming that? My biggest low light. Um, uh, maybe. Mm, that's a hard one. Maybe the research is what gives you the, the biggest um, low light problem in the sense that the research projects never work the way that you want them to work. Mm. So you start a project with uh, following the scientific method, right? You have a question, you, you, do, you uh, do the study design and then put this question in a hypothesis format and then you design the, the methods and then invariably they, what you how you think they were going to things were going to work they don't work like that and then you can you keep having to go back to a square one and then every time things fail of something that you were planning uh, that's that's probably the low lights on the other hand in many of these research projects you end up um learning things that were not your your initial question so um probably whenever you answer the questions and, and then you find out all these things that you didn't even set up to answer, well, those maybe are the highlights of research. The research part, the research is very, uh, research process is very humbling, if you will. Yeah. Is there a research project that comes to mind, like one that you thought was going to go this way, but it ended up like going the exact opposite way? Yeah, there are a few. The one that always comes to mind about that, it, it was not heart related. It was ultrasound related. We were ultrasounding these falls. We were studying intestinal disease. And what we were we were set up to do was to see what how was the blood flow to the intestine because, because falls uh, have problems with blood flow to the intestine when they are newborn is one of their common diseases. So we wanted to characterize that further. Mm -hmm. and uh, see if we could um, um, stay ahead of the game when 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 treating this when treating these falls and then um, that was the failure part we couldn't with the equipment that we had at, at the time and this was about um, uh, 10 or 12 years ago mm -hmm. uh, we couldn't detect the blood flow of the intestinal wall of normal falls 
Mm-hmm. But while doing that, we started to scan all these normal phones, and then we started to find all these all these abnormalities that 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 uh, were supposed to be severe abnormalities. But we were finding it in phones that were fine when we started, were fine after we after we were after we were done. So that was one thing. What very these are what we're calling two susceptions, like uh, this when the when the intestine telescopes on itself. Um, so that was one example, right? We were set up to investigate blood flow, and we ended up learning that intestine of false telescoping in itself, it's a normal variation of being a fault. Huh. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Sounds a little a little silly, but for us, for if you were yeah, I mean, since you get excited you, about those things. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think it's really interesting. I think. Um, I'm learning so much from this conversation in general. One of them being just that, right? Like the full intestine is just—it's just like one of the things that horses evolved. Yeah. This way. Um, yeah, 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 so, yeah. The intestine of the horses in general is not a very good design. Are horses a good design? <laughs> depending, depending sense. for depending for what. If you want an animal that can run very fast for very long, yes, but. Yeah. But the but the but if you want to put a an uh uh horse in a stall and uh leave it in a stall, then it has a bad design because they are designed to be out in the field for for most part of the day and moving around and grazing. I'm curious from your perspective on the other side, like what is one of the things you're most proud of? Yeah, I don't know that I mean proud or happy, I guess uh of uh, yeah. where my where my career ended, right? Like I think um or ended. <laughs> no, that but it's been uh, it's been um it almost feels like the it's it's been um I guess 21 years of career, but I'm I'm pretty happy of where 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 I am, right? Like I drive in at New Walton Center in the in the in the morning and it feels like it's the best place in the in the world to work as a as an equine veterinarian. So maybe that's yeah. It's, it might be the second best place, right? Because the first one has to be College Station. <laughs> yeah, college, college, I work, I mean, I worked in College Station for four years. I have to say that Texas A&M is a very, very good place as well. Yeah, I would have that. I'm just kidding. Um, no, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And, and definitely congrats on that, right? Uh, it's, it's, I feel like it's a, it's a huge accomplishment to be where you are and being able to like, have the freedom to do what you're doing. So last question, and one of the things I'm curious about is like, what are the trends you're seeing right now in, in the equine industry? Are there trends you're, you're noticing that folks are shifting towards? I mean, from the veterinary standpoint, maybe it's the equine industry and the veterinary industry in general. There is a problem with supply and demand, like like not enough veterinarians to do the amount of work. But actually, I don't think it's not enough veterinarians, but uh, um it's a combination of the number of veterinarians and what the how veterinarians are 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 treated and how technicians are treated. So the whole industry in in general, it's a, it's it's in a little bit of a of a tight spot. What uh, the veterinarians are willing to do versus uh, versus what um, clients think that they should be doing, right? Like uh, it seems like um. For a long time, veterinarians have been overworked, and uh, it's reaching a point that, that the newer generations um, 
are not willing to continue. They want mm -hmm. to have a reasonable lifestyle and uh, not uh, work every day, all day, and do other things with their life. And uh, it's uh, it's um, yeah, but that's that's a hard that's a hard trend. But uh, if we don't change how we treat veterinarians and particularly equine veterinarians, pretty soon um, we won't have many to take care of our horses. Yeah. That actually uh, brought, brings up a question I had is like, how, how are emergencies typically, typically dealt with um, in, in, in your field in particular, right? Like a horse breaks their leg or, or something like, do you instantly get a call or, or, or yeah. how, how does, well, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky because I work in a very large team and working mm -hmm. in a very large team means that we can split that emergency duty, but for veterinarians that don't work in very large teams means mean being on call or on duty pretty much all the time and mm -hmm. so that's one of the one of the problems right like my luxury is that uh, there are many veterinarians here right over 100 veterinarians and in my cardiology ultrasound team there are five veterinarians so we can we can divide divide all those and then in like smaller cities smaller towns it's the the same veterinarian has to handle the emergency if they're not available the, the client just has to wait right right or find another veterinarian but then in remote areas there are not that many veterinarians yeah um yeah super super tough to handle and, and can only imagine so um this next uh, section of the of the podcast is is what i call the the rapid fire it's the last section of it do you have a favorite horse you've ever ridden i have a couple of uh of favorite horses that i've ridden but there was a horse that i owned for a long time so that has to be close or at the top of the of the list it was a thoroughbred cross that did endurance and did uh, uh eventing did a lot of things and then another horse that um was a cross a, a, a cross i didn't even know what kind of cross and it was a, it was a horse that that it was not. Uh, people would see it and they would they would doubt if it was a, a horse or a mule. Oh, really? It was very <laughs> interesting looking. But then the horse ended up being um, um, national champion in in endurance, and it was such a fun horse to gallop on, and he would do everything. It it was special in the in the and it was a very shy horse, very head shy. But, but once you were on it, and uh, and uh, it's, he, he would he would be scared about everything. But then, as a as an athlete, it was just an incredible fun horse to to ride. Beethoven was the name of that horse. Beethoven, beautiful. Um, thank you. What what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Outside of work, right now. Um, hang out with family. I have two little children, two girls and the oh, wife, nice. that's one. Uh, and then run. Um, oh. And I run um, medium to long distances for fun. Uh, so maybe those are the two things. Yeah. Have, <laughs> I don't know why this question just came up, but have you ever taken a horse on a run? Like you're running and... Yeah, yeah because I did endurance, endurance for some time and this was about... Um, maybe two, over 25 years ago. And at that time, see right now, endurance has become so fast that that's very hard to do. But it used to be very common that to give the horse a break, you would run. 
So you would run for a couple of miles or 10 minutes, 20 minutes to give your horse a break. So yeah, it was not a rare thing to do to run beside oh. the horse. And I don't think they do you, it all that much anymore because endurance has become so fast. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, knowing what you know now, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Um, yeah, maybe take, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't because <laughs> it would be unsolicited advice, right? I, I, uh, <laughs> I those things that you learn, right? Don't give unsolicited advice is rarely welcome, but, uh, yeah. but probably if I had to, I would, uh, it would be like, um, uh, yeah, take it easy. It's not a race. Like, uh, things, uh, things, uh, things just work at their own pace and necessarily as fast as you would want. That's great. Uh, coming from an endurance athlete yourself, yeah. right? <laughs> Life is not a race. Yeah, that's right. Um, where's the, your favorite place you've ever written or worked with a horse? Yeah, work New Walton Center. Yeah, that's my that's my favorite place. Uh, Riden, um, probably home. I, I, I in 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 Valencia in Spain. There were two places that I rode a lot. One mm-hmm. uh, with uh, endurance horses, and the other one with. Uh, with um, trainer, coach, um, teacher of, of riders. His name is, is Jose Manuel Sales. And uh, mm-hmm. he's probably regarding how to ride and how to treat horses, um, big influence because he he's, has this um, ability to, to teach people and also to try to find rationales and, and read and uh, everything that he can uh, as a, as a trainer of, of horses he probably has more knowledge about horses than anybody i know because you go to his house and it's any kind of book or article or journal that you can think of about horses he has read um that's awesome that's that's so incredible uh which brings me to my last question is if you could have dinner with three people in history dead yeah. or alive who would you invite to dinner and i'm talking like you know, you get it, like a Spanish dinner. You start yeah. late. You have your tapas, your wine. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, from from the standpoint right now, I would say friends that are alive, right? Because I, I see them, I see them less than I would like. So probably that's what I would choose. Like my friends that I see less, less, less often. Uh, historically, I would, I don't know, but I, when I read this question, I was thinking along the lines of what we are talking about, like exercise physiology or. or athletes or, or horses, uh, uh, probably I would like to talk to, to sort of people that know a lot about exercise physiology and then maybe not even necessarily horses, but humans, like there is this, um, I, I like endurance uh, sports and there is this runner, Spanish runner that his name is Kilian Jornet. He's probably the best ultra runner in history. Maybe mm-hmm. I would invite him to dinner. And now there is this, you are into endurance sports and newer thing is like this, um, Norwegian triathlon teams that are sweeping podiums and training using uh, sports science. And so maybe I wouldn't buy their sports scientist. Mm-hmm. Guy, he's, he's an engineer, but now he does sports science. Uh, his name is, his name is uh, Olaf Alexander Boo. That, that's the name of the guy. There are a bunch of podcasts that are fascinating. 
or another wow. another famous person in the running world his name is Jack Daniels like the whiskey like the, the whiskey so the he he's like a that's awesome um it sounds yeah some some endurance runners I, I think of like the David Goggins of the world's uh these guys who run hundreds of miles at a time yeah, yeah. I I I ran my first half marathon this year and, and by mile 11 I was cramping and almost yeah. dying so I, I don't know how, how people run more than 13 let alone uh hundreds right yeah no, so, that's right. That's right. anyway uh Dr. Navas thank you so much for, for taking the time um apologies for the internet break I, I, I wish that would have never happened but it's part of the times i guess yeah no problem no problem yeah it happens okay well uh, nice talking to you